Even some of the most affluent school districts in the region are dealing with financial uncertainty connected to the coronavirus pandemic, and it has complicated the ways in which they plan for reopening. Earlier this year, the Victor Central School District adopted a budget with a 7% tax increase for residents. It allowed administrators to increase spending for students. I'm Josh Durso for FingerLakes1.com, and over the last several days, we've brought you conversations with leaders from schools across the region. Today, we continue our series debriefing the topic of back to school with Dr. Tim Terranova. He's a superintendent of the Victor Central School District and says that despite the uncertainty, his district has a strong plan for reopening. Uh, we are looking at what's called a hybrid model. We have, uh, so our K through six, pre-K through six, will be coming to school five out of 10 days every two weeks. Uh, that would look like two days one week, three days the other. Um, and then on the other days that our youngsters are not in class, they would be learning through what we call uh, Google Classroom, which is a platform of both uh, uh, recorded as well, recorded materials as well as other technological instructional practices that, that we're using with our kids. Um, so they're going to be there five out of 10 days, two weeks. And then our secondary students, seven through 12, will be in school four out of 10 days, either Monday, Tuesdays or Thursday, Fridays. And then the other days of the week, they will also be learning uh, online, uh, doing a lot of experiences through Google Classroom and communicating with their teachers. And then we have, I would say at this moment, around 13 or 14 percent of our students Families have opted into what's called the 100% online model because we uh, gave them that choice. Uh, so, and they're going to be learning online uh, completely through the support of our uh, teaching staff. If you could give us a, a little scope in terms of how large the district is or how many students you guys actually have enrolled, as well as uh, how many staff you have working in the district. Yeah, so we have approximately 4,400 students enrolled pre-K through 12. And in total staff is somewhere between seven and 800. We probably have around 350 to 400 teaching staff. Okay, so uh, as you guys went through the planning process, uh, what were some of the bigger challenges that you guys uh, faced through whether it be uh, concerns from the community or whether it just be the logistical uh, nightmare that the last 30 days has probably presented? What, what were some of those challenges that uh, you guys faced in July and August? I'd say um, so there are three main challenges. I mean, there was more, as you know, but the first one obviously is health and safety, right? I mean, We've got a crisis in the in the world, a global pandemic. How do we keep our kids and staff safe under the parameters given to us that, by the way, and it's no fault of anybody else, uh, has been changed multiple times over the last 45 days to 30 to 45 days. So the first challenge was, you know, how do we support safety and health around this pandemic? The second was, um, I think, how do we, this is the problem right now and the challenge, how are we going to support student learning when 60% of the time they're not in front of us, right? Some, um, so how do we utilize technology and communication with our families and our students between the schools and our families and students so that when they're not in front of us, they're learning and able to learn and they're not getting so frustrated. They're sitting there for three days and waiting to come back. Um, and the third challenge is related to the first two. 
Uh, and in you know, in Victor Central School District, this has been a theme since way before I started, but certainly has become apparent since I started, and it's money. So uh, how do we afford this model, which increases costs uh, above the budget that was uh, approved in, in June uh, because of safety and health and technology? Um, for example, you know, one of the things we talked about in the spring was the fact that we are understaffed with our cleaner cleaners, right? This is going into the budget vote in June. And when you have one cleaner per per building of a thousand kids during the day, it's absolutely almost ridiculous to try to clean that building. And it wasn't. So now not only can't we do that, now we've increased the expectations for cleaning significantly because we need to be disinfecting, sanitizing, cleaning everything frequently, right? So we're probably going to spend somewhere between one hundred dollars to $150,000, hopefully closer to 100000 just on additional cleaning staff to open up during this hybrid model. So that's an example of some of the increased costs that we're dealing with. So obviously health and safety, we have to be uh, conscious of that. And those are non-negotiables. Uh, instruction, how do we support our kids so they're learning at the highest levels, even though they're not in front of us a uh, significant amount of time? And then ultimately, how are we going to afford this? And when it comes to the the affordability piece there, are you how concerned are you about the long-term viability um, given where funding levels sit now and where they could potentially go if the governor's concerns play out uh, in full in the throughout the rest of this year? Um, I am without a doubt significantly concerned because our community did an incredible job with with the support of our you know our school leader school and our teachers and our staff. They passed a budget in the middle of a pandemic. Um, and we've talked about this numerous times that increased the tax rate, um, you know, roughly 7%, which is a significant increase. Right. And what that allowed us to do is take a district that was the second lowest per pupil expenditure in the state and now move us up to the bottom 5%. <laughs> we're still, we're still significantly lower, but we're definitely not as low as we were before. Um, so, but what that also did was allow us to have a bit of a surplus that we wanted to put into our reserves because our reserves were dangerously low, right? So we get a surplus out of the 2021 budget that's normal for districts. And we take that money and we put in our reserves. But now, because of the two factors you just mentioned, right? If we're going to have, you know, six figure increases in expenses because of COVID and we get 20 or percent or more slashed from the state aid, that surplus that was going to go in reserves gets rapidly drained to nothing or we end up in the red, right? And so then, you know, we're, we're behind the eight ball and we have to figure out going into the next budget season, what do we do to, to support what we, what we still need and certainly support our existing staff. Now, you know, we're hoping, and, and this is where advocacy comes in, right? We, we need to be strong advocates, especially right now in the federal government to get that federal stimulus money that we were, I think, promised that would certainly go a long way to help us out. And we need to be advocates with the state budget because the more they slash from education, the more it hurts our kids. So that's a huge piece moving forward the next few minutes, months is advocacy, both at the federal and the state level. Uh, so when you look at the the plan that, that your district has put together uh, and you look at students coming back, 
What has been the response from the community, faculty, uh, maybe even students? What What are some of the things that you guys have been hearing uh, over the last couple of weeks? Uh, I think it's a combination of, of complete tr- honesty around their concerns and an optimism uh, combined with that honesty. And I think that's a great combination. I've been incredibly pleased with the reaction uh, by ev- all those groups you just mentioned. Um you know, our staff is concerned. Um, some are nervous. Uh, some are, to be honest with you, a few are fearful. Um, um, many of many are excited and almost all of them are a combination of all three of those. So uh, we've we've told them, you know, that you know, there's again, I'll use that term non-negotiables. We're going to we're going to clean these buildings better than ever before. And there's an expectation they're going to be cleaned a certain way. And if we don't meet that expectation, they're going to call us call us out on it and make sure that we get a recleaning of those rooms. Um, we need complete support by the community and the staff in doing our health screenings every day where it takes about 45 seconds to do the app. That's an app that's easily downloaded to your phone or you can do it on your computer. And that's a screening every day. And and if people don't fill out that screen, we got to chase after them and find them real quick to see if they're sick or not. Right. We don't want to be doing that. Uh, So that's a huge piece. And then we need to, um, you know, follow the science. That's the old cliche now. Right. If uh, if somebody's sick, we have a specific protocol from our county health department and what to do. We've made that very clear. Uh, We're going to follow that. And if cases start to tick up because of it and we can't handle the numbers, then we wouldn't be able to continue to be open. Um, But we're hopeful that that's not going to happen because we're going to keep our buildings clean. We're going to follow the screening protocols. And I have to be honest with you, Josh, we're going to be really vigilant around social distancing and mask wearing. And and we're not allowing we're not allowing gators or bandanas either. We've we've read the research and know that they're not as effective, not nearly as effective as the cloth mask. So we're going to be 100 percent wearing cloth masks uh, pretty much 99 percent of the time for kids other than breaks or um, a lunch and and reset or lunch and uh, uh, drinking and and eating during lunch. Mm -hmm. So I think those combinations have allowed our staff to at least be. Uh, hopeful and and give us the opportunity to prove ourselves that we can do this. And uh, they are so gung ho about working with kids again that it's it's just phenomenal. Our community, uh, same thing. They're they're nervous a little bit. Um, there's different sides, as you know. There's some people who wish we were back every day and and are really concerned that we're not. There's other people that wish that we weren't back at all and we're doing completely online. And then there's a lot of people in the middle. So. Uh, I think one of the biggest concerns other than safety, obviously, was just the first is, again, the this idea of how are my kids going to learn when they're not in school, especially kids who are younger, who might not be as, um, you know, have some of those habits where they can stay engaged when somebody's not in front of them. So are my kids going to fall behind and start to really lose uh, lose uh, their learning experiences that they're that are so important. Are are you concerned at all about adherence to mask wearing and potentially the uh, the labor or the effort that may be required to make sure that kids are keeping their masks on all the time? As we've been having these conversations with different leaders from dif- different districts, that seems to be something that's a, a little bit of an unknown heading into day one. Uh, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm being naive, Josh. I don't, uh, I'm not as concerned about that. I think we have, first of all, great kids who rise to the occasion. Um, 
And when you have clear expectations for our kids and you follow up on those expectations, 99% of the time they follow up on them themselves. Um, I think we have to have clear expectations from day one about the mask wearing. And if kids are struggling with wearing a mask, we need to figure out why. And then we got to work with them immediately on it. And, you know, whether it's just, you know, the younger kids and having, you know, issues with wearing the mask or older kids who are, you know, trying to show over the world that they're going to be a little bit different. I mean, kids do that sometimes, right? I think adults do it sometimes. So anyhow, we got to work with those kids immediately. Um, we need to connect with our parents right away. And unfortunately, if they don't uh, follow through with that, then we would shift them to 100% online learning uh, because we couldn't we couldn't uh, take the chances. It's it's similar to the immunization policy that schools have right now. Masks are just as important, I think, and. Uh, um, so no, I'm not as concerned about it. Of course, I'm, it's easy for me to say, cause our staff is the one doing the work. Right. Yeah. And, uh, uh, but I, I guess that uh, that's the other piece of that answer. I, I trust our staff hundred percent completely. Uh, they're great with kids and they can balance those high expectations with empathy. Uh, and I think uh, we'll be fine with that. Has the community voiced any, any concerns or worries or questions about, uh, student outcomes, given the fact that there are going to be some different models sort of happening simultaneously, some students learning in person on certain days, maybe some mm-hmm. students learning fully remotely. Um, what have been the big questions that you guys have gotten on that front? You're talking about academics? Yeah. The, as far as like raw student outcomes are concerned, uh, what yeah, what are those? There's definitely concern about that. Um, there's concern on our part too, right? So we're trying two different methods at the same time that have, I mean, we tried it for three months in react in a reactive way. And now we're going to have to go back and do that plus a hybrid bottle. So our teachers are basically learning the third way of teaching method practice uh, in eight months. Uh, we are concerned that uh, so, so one of the things, the concerns is that, yeah, kids will, some kids will start to fall behind, especially those kids that are either hundred percent online or kids who have uh, different complexities around their learning, right? So, you know, we've said a couple things. We're, we're going to keep the curriculum as consistent as possible at each grade level uh, so that wh- whether you're, you know, if we have 14 first grade teachers, they're really, they're following the same curriculum and in, in a lot of ways, the same instructional content. That's a more aligned than ever before. So that um, a they can divide and conquer, so to speak, the teachers in first grade, or where they can do different uh, tech, you know, whether it's recording lessons or doing other things through Google Classroom, like Screencastify and and some of the other wild stuff that we can do through there. And two, kids who are 100% online or kids in the hybrid model, either way, they they're connected to the same materials and the same focus. Uh, that's a way we're really going to try to keep people aligned. It gets more complex, obviously, at the high school where you're, you have, you know, hundreds of courses. Um, but in that case, we're actually having our 100 percent online kids uh, uh, going live with the teacher for at least part of each period uh, of the day um, so that they're going to hear the lessons just like the kids in person. And then they're going to do the work uh, when the kids are working, but they're going to do work more independently and still stay connected to that teacher. So. Uh, the concern is what you just said. And I think part of this is we have to we have to try it. Right. A lot of this is anxiety because everybody's doing what if, what if, what if, which can't be answered until we start doing it next week. So I think after we get through two or three weeks, we're going to we're going to figure out what's working and what's not. We'll probably figure out that there's certain things we thought 
were going to be a major concern that aren't at all. And some things that we didn't think were going to be a concern that are a concern. But again, once that happens, at least we'll have it in front of us and we can deal with it. Uh, so my last question is is a bit of an, a, a speculative opinion question, but it's something that's been getting batted around quite a bit. Remote learning, do you think it's here to stay in terms of uh, a, a method or a means of, of educating students? Meaning, do you think this is going to be something that we see stay in some capacity even beyond the pandemic? I, I think that the most important piece to teaching is the relationship between the teacher or the adult and the kid. And remote learning is not the ideal way to build that relationship when we have the opportunity to have them in front of us and interact. Um, I also think no matter how remote great we do remote learning, the ability to interact with kids to be able to interact with their peers isn't going to be as great um, as it would be if they're in person. So the concept of in-person instruction to me will always be at the forefront. And when we have more ability to get together when COVID, when this passes, which I it's going to over time, uh, that will still be, the, in my opinion, the main mode of instruction. However, saying that, the skills and tools we've used with technology over the last few months and through this year will definitely enhance our instructional practice, whether that's kids who are out sick, right, who now could have more connections and ability to do things, whether it's a teacher uh, just having more at his or her fingertips around resources, and materials and can get feedback back to the kids much quicker when they're in the building. Uh, you know, some of the technology uh, things like Zoom and other aspects can certainly be a resource for us, especially to enhance those connections with kids beyond the in-person piece and 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 take our education truly into that 21st century learning, you know, that that is so important. Look, it comes down to right critical thinking, creativity, collaboration. Those are the, you know, um, communication, right? Those four C's. That's what educate. That's a huge piece of education. And so whatever technology can do to enhance those four C's, uh, we, we need to do. So I, I don't see it as completely revolutionizing. And I think we need in person. Uh, that that is the, the most important thing. But gosh, could we could we take this and really support our kids, especially when they're not in school? Yes. And I think it's over the next few years, it's going to to some degree after having all said that what I just said, I still think it's going to revolutionize a lot of what we're going to do. You're saying snow days are over then. I think so. I oh love boy. that idea. I don't oh think the boy. kids are real happy with it. Oh uh, but I mean, there's a great example uh, of what we could do. Right. Yeah. And uh and and just the connections we could make across the world, right? The connections that we can make for our kids with other kids and other adults in countries that are far, far away from us and, and do stuff, you know, in, in relationship to that is just amazing what we could do. Um, so, but it still starts with a relationship, I think. And, and that's why it, it, it starts and ends there. 